You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, It's a free country. That's what the man said. That's what the white man said. The white man at the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport said that last week when he was getting arrested for threatening the life of a TSA agent at a security checkpoint. I don't know if this guy had a ticket and was supposed to fly that day or he just rolled into the airport looking for trouble, but he was unruly. He wasn't following the rules because freedom which is just another word for rules are optional for white men. This guy was told to move away from the checkpoint by a TSA agent, but as he said, it's a free country. And in a free country, men can do what they want. And what this guy wanted to do at that moment was pick up a metal stanchion and swing it at the TSA agent's head. It didn't land. He missed and he was arrested again. I don't know if this guy had a ticket to fly somewhere that day, but if he did... I'm really glad he showed us who he was before getting on an airplane because I don't want to read another story or see another video of a flight attendant being punched in the face by some asshole passenger ranting about masks. A quick digression, a suggestion for airlines. I don't know why you, the airlines, aren't pressing the feds to require people to be vaccinated in order to fly. No shots, no flights. Because the Venn diagram of people who won't get vaccinated and people who assault flight attendants, well, it's not a perfect circle. There are a lot more people out there who haven't been vaccinated than there are people out there who've assaulted flight attendants. But everyone who's assaulted a flight attendant over the last year has been a raving anti-vax, anti-mask idiot. We've all seen the videos. So this Venn diagram is a little circle, the people who've assaulted flight attendants inside a much bigger circle, people who won't get vaccinated. So ban people who won't get vaccinated from flying and the problem of unruly passengers assaulting flight attendants gets solved. Anyway, I I saw the headline about the white guy screaming freedom at the airport. It's a free country in Minneapolis while he was assaulting a TSA agent. And I clicked through and read the whole story because I find airport stories morbidly fascinating because I fly a lot. And after reading the story, man, all I got to say is, besides ban unvaccinated people from flying, please, is that wherever he is right now, Larry Craig must be pissed. Many of you probably don't know who Larry Craig is, or maybe you don't remember. He was a senator from Idaho an anti-gay senator, a religious conservative family values preening asshole. I mean, he won a statewide election in Idaho. What else would he be? Craig first got elected to the Senate in 1991, and he'd probably still be in the Senate if he didn't get arrested at the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport in 2007 in a men's toilet. He was sitting in a stall, tapping his foot, And this was apparently some gimme dick code, some secret gimme some dick code that I, as an out gay man who flew in and out of the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport for years, I mean, it's a Delta hub, somehow I didn't know about this secret gimme some dick code. I didn't know you could go into a toilet at the airport and tap your foot and get dick. But the senior senator from Idaho knew about it and he got arrested and outed for it. 
He tried to explain away the toe tapping and the sliding his foot into the neighboring stall where a cop was sitting by claiming he had a wide stance. No one bought it at the time. No one buys it now. And Craig had to leave the Senate. But he's still out there somewhere, still alive, and also still out there insisting to anyone who listened that he has no interest in dick. He just needs to spread him wide when he takes a shit. I haven't thought about Craig for years, but I thought about Larry Craig while I was reading the news about this guy, the guy who swung the metal stanchion at a TSA agent last week, because of this paragraph in the story on CBS Minnesota WCCO Channel 4's website. Surveillance videos showed the man punching and headbutting TV screens at the airport, taking his clothes off, and masturbating. This all happened about an hour before the incident at the checkpoint. Okay. So if you're Larry Craig and you're reading this story, here's this guy who's running through the terminal vandalizing TV screens and stripping naked and jacking off, running around the terminal with his dick in his hand, and nothing happens. He doesn't get arrested until he tries to kill a TSA agent. And poor Larry Craig, he's sitting quietly in a toilet stall, tapping his toes, trying to get himself some dick relatively discreetly. And he gets arrested immediately and politically destroyed, which make no mistake, I was glad about at the time and am glad about still. Like all closeted gay Republican conservatives, Craig tried to throw people off the scent of airport toilet cock on his breath by staking out the most rabidly anti-gay positions and having the most rabidly anti-gay voting record of any member of the Senate. So, you know, fuck Larry Craig. But still, poor Larry Craig. That had to smart reading that. Wherever he is, Craig is thinking, I got arrested for tapping my toes and this guy didn't get arrested for jacking it by the check-in desks and the Starbucks and baggage claim and the Cinnabon? I guess none of us, Larry Craig included, should be surprised. June of 2007, when Craig got arrested at the Minneapolis airport, is a long way from November of 2021. It felt then like terrible white dudes could get away with pretty much anything. But somehow terrible white dudes are getting away with so much worse today. They're getting away with murder, figuratively, in the case of the guy who is running around the airport naked and having a wank without getting arrested, and quite literally getting away with murder, in the case of the guy who is running around Kenosha, Wisconsin, with an AR-15, and isn't going to prison for killing two people and wounding another. All right, let's just shake that off and talk about this week's show. Let's talk about the rest of the show. It's Thanksgiving on Thursday. We want to thank you. We want to thank you for listening. Thank you to our micro listeners. Thank you to our Magnum subscribers, Nancy and I, and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. We love doing this show, and we couldn't do it if it weren't for all of you, all of you who listen and talk about the show on Twitter and call us with your questions and call us with your comments. We are so thankful for you. This week's show, as promised, all queer questions, tons of queer questions from tons of different kinds of queers. No questions from trans people. Sorry about that. Would have included a question from a trans person or persons, plural, if we'd gotten one for this week's show. But we didn't. But we will have questions from trans people in the future as we have had them in the past. What I'm most excited about for this week's queer show, all queer show, are our 
very, very queer guests that I think you're going to be really excited about too. Joining us to take your sex questions with me. They are on the micro and the magnum. Alaska and Willem of Drag Race fame on this week's Savage Lovecast. We're awfully thankful for that too. And we think you're going to enjoy it coming up right now. Hi, Dan. 30-something-year-old, lesbian-identified woman in my mid-30s. I just have a question. So I've been a bottom my entire lesbian experience, and I am wondering what the difference is between being a bottom and being heterosexual but homoromantic. What I mean by that is that you know, I've always liked penetrative sex, and it's never been with a man, but does it make me heterosexual if I like penetrative sex, and sometimes I think about a guy's dick while it's, while it's like, while I'm getting railed by a dildo? I don't know. I just think it's an interesting thought. Tell me your thoughts. You know, decades ago, back in the bad old days, a century ago, Guys who liked to fuck guys in the ass didn't think of themselves as gay. It was the person who was being penetrated who was the homosexual. The penetrator, there was nothing gay about that, nothing homosexual about that, nothing effeminate about that. That was masculine. So, you know, back in the bad old days, you had a lot of deeply conflicted, closeted, self-hating, straight-identified gay guys out there who thought that they were straight because they didn't kiss. They also didn't get fucked. They didn't suck dick. They got serviced. And so long as you were the top, even if you were having sex with other men, you were still a straight guy. I'm sure that you see that you can see even from your position as a bottom on your back on the bed, being railed by a dildo strapped onto a lady. Why that's bullshit. Of course that's bullshit. You know, just looking at who's being penetrated or who's penetrated exclusively if somebody is 100% a bottom, or penetrating exclusively if someone's 100% a top, doesn't tell you whether that person is straight or gay. Penetration itself does not have or bestow a sexual orientation. That you sometimes fantasize while your girlfriend or wife, I don't know which you have, is railing you with a strap-on dildo. You sometimes fantasize about that Strap-on dick being an actual biological human male's dick doesn't make you 100% straight. Maybe it makes you a tiny little bit bisexual, a tiny little bit as a lesbian, bi-curious. But yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make you straight. Think of all the gay bottoms out there in the world. They're not women just because they like to be fucked. Think of the gay tops, the exclusive gay tops. They're not straight men just because they like to get fucked. And think of the women you have sex with who are exclusively tops to your exclusive bottom, who are the lids to your pots. The fact that they're fucking you doesn't make them straight men. Yeah, this totally falls apart under scrutiny. And I think you're sidestepping the real issue with your sexual orientation and identity here which is not that because you're a bottom and you like to get railed, you're straight because every once in a while you fantasize about real dick as opposed to strap-on dick. And strap-on dicks are real too. They have mass. They exist in the universe. They're made up of atoms and matter. It's that you are, the real issue here is that you're just a little bit 
bi-curious and that's fine. You can be a little bit bi-curious and still be lesbian identified. No one's going to tackle you and take your lesbian card away from you. I'm a gay man. I had sex with women a long time ago when I was trying to be straight. Doesn't make me any less gay. There are straight guys out there who are maybe situationally heteroflexible. I mentioned that in my column this week. Doesn't mean they can't identify as straight or aren't, you know, in the final accounting, mostly straight and allowed to round themselves up that final, or round themselves down that final two or three percent to straight. And you are allowed to round yourself up that final two or three percent to lesbian. Even if, even if every once in a while, while your girlfriend's fucking plowing you, you're curious about what that might feel like with a dude with a dick. Hi there, queer man calling. Uh, I'm married. Well, been together about 15 years. We were married about seven. Uh, anyway, we recently had a huge fight, like, a, like I'll spare the details, but it was ugly. And five days later, we're both sort of like shaken and and uh, and anyway, so I'm a long-time listener, and I've heard you sometimes reference ways to find queer-friendly therapists, because I think we need somebody to help us out with this. Uh, and we're also non-monogamous, so I want to find somebody that's not going to be judgmental about our non-monogamy. And also, before I called, I did an internet search, and really so much came up that I was overwhelmed. <laughs> so... Um, if you could give me the names of a couple of organizations or websites that would narrow that down for us, that would help me out a lot. Okay, this is an easy one. Go to the website of the American Association of Sexuality, Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. Click on Find a Professional, enter the state where you live, and then look through the websites of the various listed sex educators, counselors, and therapists that you find through ASEC. Most of them, all of them are going to be queer friendly. Most of them, if not all of them are going to be fine working with couples in open relationships and polyamorous couples. Email, contact the therapists in your area that you, I guess, vibe with their website and lay out who you are and what you're looking for and the kind of therapist you're seeking and you'll get emails back and go see one if it feels good, if it feels right, if it feels like a match. Continue to see that therapist. If it doesn't feel good, if you feel shamed or you feel like they're homophobic or they're, you know, not, you know, they're phobic about open relationships or non-monogamy as gay men often practice it, move on. Find a new therapist. You don't have to keep seeing a therapist that isn't working for you. But the place you need to go, the place for you to start the website of the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, asect.org. That's A-A-S-E-C-T.org. Hi, Dan. I have an important question about Thanksgiving this year. My cousin is going to be there, a cousin that I pretty much grew up with. She lived down the block from me, and she got married over this past summer. And I really wasn't involved in her wedding, which kind of hurt, because I saw her as like a centerpiece in my wedding eventually, like when I inevitably would get married. And this was something that I kind of thought about all throughout my childhood, like she was going to be a part of my life and that was going to be it. Well, we've had conversations about religion before and I've kind of told her that I'm not down with it because of the whole like lying about pedophilia. And this had happened in our hometown. So I told her like, I, you know, 
don't want to belong to any religious institution. And she proceeded to make me the only role in her wedding, which was to read a Bible verse at her wedding. And I initially said yes, because I was feeling like a people pleaser at the moment. And I don't know, it got the best of me. And I had some time to think about it. And the Bible verse that she wanted me to read was like, if you're not with God, then you don't know how to love somebody. And talking about how love was exclusive to men and women. So I was like, no, like inevitably, that's just not what I want to do. So I did say no, and it caused this massive fight. And we haven't spoken in six months, and I'm about to see her at Thanksgiving. I've tried all I can do. I have reached out, and I have apologized for not saying no to begin with. And she seems really butthurt that I, like, ruined her wedding. And I just think this whole thing is over the top. But she's my cousin, and we grew up together, and she was like a sister to me. So I feel really sad about it. And I'm just wondering, you know, what's your advice? My advice would be to go ahead and feel sad about this. She was like a sister to you. Your cousin was like a sister to you, was past tense. She is not like a sister to you anymore. She's not interested in having a relationship with you now that you're adults. That's why she picked this fight. You didn't cause a massive fight when you backed out of reading an insulting to you personally Bible verse at her wedding. You agreed to read the Bible verse to be named later, a Bible verse to be named later. And then she intentionally, consciously or subconsciously, maliciously chose a Bible verse that insulted you personally. She picked that fight. Of course you weren't going to stand up in church. Even if you, as an atheist person, as a non-believer, could stand up in church at somebody else's wedding and read a little bit from the Bible regarding it personally, maybe, as I would if I were asked to do that, I would do that for somebody I loved regarding the Bible as literature, reading something from the Bible, a novel by God. I could do that. But I couldn't read Leviticus 18.22, if a man should lie with a man as he would lie with a woman, They've committed abomination. They should both be put to death. Their blood is upon them. I wouldn't read that verse. And anyone who asked me to read that verse would obviously be baiting me, picking a fight with me. So go ahead and feel sad about this. Feel sad about how this relationship ended and feel sad about it ending the way so many other familiar relationships have ended in a conflict over Imaginary friends, religious belief. The question that you ask, though, is how to interact with your cousin at Thanksgiving. Smile, nod, say hi, how are you, and then get the fuck away from her. That's how you should deal with her at Thanksgiving. Be as civil and polite and brief and disengaged as possible, and then focus your attentions on other people, other family members who love you, who accept you, who want to have relationships with you and aren't picking fights with you. You didn't ruin this woman's wedding. You gave her what she wanted. She wanted to have a fight with you to end this relationship, to cauterize whatever emotional wound you may have inflicted on her when you decided you weren't religious anymore, when you walked away from the faith in which you were both raised. Yeah, you gave her what she wanted. You don't owe her anything else. You certainly don't owe her another moment's thought. Hey, Dan. My name is Bill. I'm calling from the Northeast. I'm from Buffalo. And I just uh, listening to this week's episode and the upcoming LGBT 
Q episode, felt it was finally time to ask your advice on how to live as a bisexual, heteroamorous guy these days. This question is twofold. Like, A, I grew up, like, pretty conservative, but have become very liberal. I grew up around guns. I was in the Marines. I still hunt. I'm around gym bros all the time. And I'm just bi when it comes to sex. Like, I don't know how to be an advocate for the for the community like I feel like I should be because it just, in volunteering that info, it just gives people a window into my sex life. It's not like I'm ever going to be dating a guy. So I feel very conflicted there, especially, like, when my background is, like I said, it's kind of conservative and kind of, kind of rural. Like, when I see the certain things in the media, it just feels like the movement's eating, a snake eating its own tail when it comes to the fighting over some pronouns and stuff like that. So the second fold of my question is asking advice on how to put myself out there in the dating world. Like, I'm a single dad. I have custody of my son. And like you said, knowing the area that I come from, like, I don't, I, it's not the type of community where you lead with it. Like, women are very much presumptive and they don't tend to or seem to understand that there's a difference, I guess, or that, that, that I could be faithful or that I can be ethically non-monogamous. Because there's an inherent amount of non-monogamy implied when you come out as bisexual. So I guess your advice on how to put myself out there and try and date honestly and I guess how should I roll that out? Should I be upfront about it? Should I wait till I establish rapport with somebody? There is a lot going on here. You raise a lot of questions, subjects, topics, issues with your call, with your life, really. I almost don't know uh, where to begin. It's important for bisexual people who are in opposite sex relationships or bisexual people who are heteroamorous to be out about being bi. It's most important for individuals who are bisexual to be out about being bi. You hear a lot, you read a lot about bisexual people having mental health outcomes that are worse than the mental health outcomes for gays, lesbians, straight people. And I think that's often because, and there's some research and data to back this up, back my point up, that many bisexuals are closeted and the stress of the closet, carrying that forward. You know, if you were to date some woman and fall in love and kick the can down the road and not tell her you're bisexual, and then the stakes got higher and higher and higher, you know, you became more and more emotionally invested in her. And eventually you just like, we're three, four, five years into the relationship and perhaps married and she'd bonded with your son and it would just feel impossible to come out to her. And so you would have to then what? You'd have to live in the closet. You'd have to hide from her. You'd have to make sure to always delete your browser history. You'd have to make sure never to look too long at a waiter, a male waiter's ass in front of her. You would be living with and sharing your life with someone that you had to hide from. That creates stress that releases cortisone into your bloodstream, the, the, the stress hormone into your bloodstream. You know, that's the kind of pressure I cracked under when I was a teenager and I was just hiding who I was from my mom and my dad and my siblings and my friends. And I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't live that way. And yet so many bisexual people 
wind up living that way and then rationalizing it kind of in the way that you rationalized it in your call that who needs to know this if you're bisexual but hetero romantic and you're or heteroamorous and you're never going to date someone or partner with someone of the same sex aren't you just sharing details about your sex life well yeah i guess on some level you are sharing a detail about your sex life maybe your parents don't need to know maybe your friends and your bros at the gym and the guys you go hunting with maybe they don't need to know at the very least your life partner your chief or exclusive or primary if you have an open relationship sex partner don't you want to have the kind of life where she could know and if you're going to be out to the women that you date and i think that you should be for your own sake and also because it's wrong to lie to people for your own sake as well or primarily it could get out there she could confide in a friend and that friend could mention it to somebody else and it could get out there maybe your parents won't find out but you know, you risk then a gym bro finding out. It seems to me that if where you live, it's impossible for someone to be out by hetero amorous or hetero romantic uh, and accepted. You might want to think about moving. And I realize that's a big lift if you say you have custody of your son, but you know, if your son's mom is involved in your son's life or has visitation or your son has deep roots in their community, if you support from your family, obviously moving would be hard if not impossible at this moment. But there are certainly other parts of the country where a gym-going, hunting, comfortable-with-guns, ex-Marine by guy would be in great demand. I'm sure there are some women out there who listen to your call, and we'll hear from them. We'll get calls from them. We'll get response calls from them who listen to your call and listen to the sound and timbre of your voice and listen to you describe the kind of man you are and that you were bisexual and they got wet listening to that. There may not be women where you live who are comfortable dating bi guys, but you know, Portland, San Francisco, in Seattle, I think in a lot of West coast coastal cities, there are a lot of women who would be not just comfortable dating a hot ex Marine gym going by guy who sometimes brings home elk steaks from hunting trips, but super, super excited to date a guy like that. If those women don't exist where you are, you're going to have to do what queer people coming out have always had to do. You're going to have to create those people. My parents weren't supportive when I came out. I turned them into supportive parents. Women that you date might not be supportive or might not understand what it means for you to be bi in the way that you are bi when you first come out to them. But, and I do think it's fair to let them get to know you a little bit at first, let them assume that you're straight, which is not an irrational assumption, but then you should come out to them and disabuse them of that assumption, which is incorrect in your case, and allow them to weigh what you're telling them versus the person that they've gotten to know. And then you can tell them that you're capable of making and honoring a monogamous commitment. You're also capable, if they'd like to have an open relationship, of negotiating that kind of agreement. And if they're down and they want to be the woman at some MMF threesomes, that could be very exciting. Those could be adventures that you guys could go on as a couple, maybe not right away. And that's not what you're looking for 
out of a relationship, but something that down the road that you would be able to explore with them and enjoy. But there are risks here. You know, what you describe is a community where it would be very risky for you to be out as a bi guy. Perhaps there would be consequences. Your family would have problems with it. Maybe your parents would be very upset. Maybe you'd get invited on your hunting trips. Maybe you would feel less welcome or even less safe at the gym. But I assume as a familiar with guns, comfortable with guns, ex-Marine who goes to the gym, you can defend yourself. You can protect yourself. And you might be surprised if you start to come out, if more people get to know who you really are and get to know this detail about your sex life, which is, I think, more than just about your sex life. It's also about your identity. You may find other guys, other guys like you in your community who assume that you wouldn't be comfortable knowing who they were because they're sitting with the same fears and assumptions about how other people react that you're sitting with now. Okay, now we have a couple of very special guests who are going to help me field some of your questions. Two of the most iconic queens to come out of RuPaul's Drag Race. They host The Race Chaser podcast and Hot Goss and run the Moguls of Media Podcast Network season five finalist and all-stars two winner Alaska and her co-host season four fan favorite Willem. Join me now to take some of your questions. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old bisexual woman. I recently got into a relationship with one of my coworkers. We've been together for four months. It's really great. The sex is pretty good. But I'm calling because recently my partner, who is quite a bit older than me, he's in his late 30s, disclosed to me that he's had over 120 sex partners in his lifetime. How does one cope with that kind of information as his partner. I have also had a rich sex life, so I don't know that it's feeling left out, but upon hearing a number like that, you know, over 120 for a straight man, uh, I couldn't help but just feel, like, deeply jealous and overwhelmed and, like, confused about how I'm feeling. So I'm just calling to ask you, like, how do I cope with that information? Is that a red flag? I'm guessing you're going to say no. Uh, my partner used to be a musician and he was in a band. So, of course, everyone wanted to um, have sex with him. But, yeah, I'm really struggling with this. Okay, Willem, Alaska, what do we have to say about 120 sex partners besides amateur? I was just going to say she must not have many gay friends if she thinks that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and she was aware of that. She was like, you know what? Everyone's going to read me for this. Everyone's going to say, oh, I'm like, I'm such a square because of this. But like, this is a thing. They did a, an episode of Friends about this. This is a thing. When you're one of the partners is inevitably going to have more partners than the other. And how do you feel about that? I think you should feel good about it. I always thought, you know, when I was young and sexually inexperienced, that if I was with somebody who had a lot of experience and they liked the sex they were having with me, that meant I must be kind of good at it because they had a larger frame of reference yeah. and comparison. Sure, so take definitely. the fucking compliment. I agree. I totally agree with that. 
Yeah, if you're enjoying it now, you know what? Like, go off. Like, live. Uh, that's fabulous. It's also like, this also happens in, have you seen yeah. um, Best in Show? Not for a while. And Catherine O'Hara plays this character who's with this guy. And everywhere they go, she runs into guys that she's slept with. It's really funny. Just It's the same thing. In the interest of full disclosure, should we give our numbers? I tried to figure out my number because I'm writing my second book and there's like a whole few years of emails that are gone from my old like hookup account. But I know mine's in the four digits. So, Alaska? okay, over, well, I don't know. Oh, that means I would over, to, over I would a thousand to... under 999,000. Okay. But the night is young. Right. The weekend is coming. <laughs> Honey, I'm in Edinburgh. Hit me up. <laughs> I would I would have to send away to NASA to calculate, but I don't know. But now, like, you know, now that's behind me. So like and I'm it's in, in front of me too sometimes. <laughs> I'm in a monogamous relationship now. And so but I had like a very active, like younger life. What about yours, Dan? What's your number? You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I would started going through boxes of crap I've been lugging around my whole life. And I found a list I kept when I first became sexually active at 15. And it was all written in code in case my parents found it. And <laughs> what's hilarious about that is like my parents found a list of men's names with some hieroglyphics next to them. They would have assumed it was in code because it was hiding something and they would have leapt to sex. So it was dumb. And I spent like a week trying to like figure out the code again because I didn't write down a cipher. Right. But that list from like 15, 16, 17 had 40 names on it. Okay. Okay, I've always been big on lists too and mine was found by trade under the bed when I went into the bathroom once and he's like, how do I get on that list? And I was like, well, and I still do lists. This is my smash list now. She keeps records. Oh my God, I'm seeing names. Hi. We're not We're not going to show that video, but I just saw a flash of a long list of names. Well, not a long list, half a page. It's like my 40 before 40, and it's like 48 people. Some are three ways, so. You got to have goals. I made Any a list a goal. once years and years ago, and but but the thing is, sometimes you don't really know their name, know their names, or remember their names. So you're like, guy at this place who we did this this thing with this thing. Yeah. What hair you're wearing? <laughs> <laughs> I was very Catholic, and I, you know, I at least had to know their names. I, I thought Aww. that made it all right with the nuns who had died and were watching over me. That. Taught yeah. me in grade school. If I at least knew their names, God wouldn't hate me so much. So <laughs> I love this. To this listener, to this listener, I just say, just enjoy what you have right now because it's fierce. Yeah, yeah, enjoy it. And, and I'm not exactly sure what this listener thinks this would be a red flag about. When we talk about red flags, we're usually talking about someone who's emotionally abusive, physically abusive. Right. That someone's honest. got game and they were honest with you about their number of sex partners and jesus when this usually comes up it's a man who has a problem with a woman who's had too many sex right. partners because of slut shaming and men being so fucking straight men in particular being so fucking insecure it's rare to get this like oh my god the number the number the number panic attack from a woman about a dude right Especially in, in a, a band. band. Oh, hello. <laughs> Did we just Literally. Say it at the same yeah, time? Yeah, because we know that's a low number for anybody who tours. He was in a band, honey. Girl. Yes. Goodbye. <laughs> so she Drag should queens, just, we share a brain. 
get over it, take the compliment, and work like hell to match his number eventually. Get on it. <laughs> yeah, ramp it up. Hi, Dan. I've got a family issue with my partner's little sister. I've been planning my 50th birthday now for about six months. And it's in another country, and I have a really beautifully curated guest list of about 20 friends that have been a huge part of my life over the last, you know, several decades that are coming. And I invited my partner's brother and sister five months ago. His brother RSVP'd and his sister said she couldn't make it, which was actually quite a relief because she is much younger than everybody else. She's pretty intense. There's just a lot of things that make her difficult to be around, high drama, et cetera. So anyway, the party is now about a month away, and his sister has just reached out saying she's coming, and not only is she coming, oh, it's also her birthday. And I'm pretty pissed because, you know, the event has been so curated. The guest list has been closed for months. Everything's been planned around the number of people, you know, that have RSVP'd. And frankly, I don't really want her there. Um, she's a very different vibe than everybody else. Really younger, high drama, high stress. And, you know, I was really hoping to have a really chill celebration with the people that I've chosen to be in my life. So my question, Dan, is do I have a choice here? <laughs> Can I tell her, no, you're not invited? Go spend your birthday somewhere else. I feel like if I do that, which is what I very strongly would like to do, um, you know, I'm going to have to pay for this as long as my partner and I continue to be together, which, you know, probably a very long time. If I invite her and have her come, I, you know, I feel like she could ruin the vibe. It's just not what I was hoping for. Complicates everything. You know, really <laughs> would not like her there. So, Dan, what should I do? Have you guys ever had a destination birthday party? I didn't know that was a thing. No, bitch. This is not White Lotus. I'm not rich like that. If my friends want to come, they have to pay. Or I have to get on their jet. Well, I don't know well, if she's paying. She's invited yeah. about 20 people to a destination birthday party. Like every, I think if you invite anybody to a destination wedding, you have to be rich enough to pay to fly everybody there. Or fuck off and get married at home. Well, so, but that's not how everybody does it. Like... My brother's like, oh, we're going to this wedding and like we have to get airfare and we have to put ourselves up and we like they're deciding to get married across the country. So everybody has to fly there, which is wild and not like everybody chooses to. Yeah, I was just going to say, I agree with Willem. Like it's an invitation, not a summons. You don't have to show. (laughs) I, I have a cousin who's planning a destination wedding specifically because she knows her mom can't leave the country and go and she doesn't want her mom there. (gasps) <laughs> Girl, that's have, Philly for you. I have complete respect for that, yeah, that stratagem. This, this lady sounds like she wants to enjoy her birthday and only her birthday because it's also this little girl's, this her partner's sister's birthday. And that leads to a whole nother thing. I just see if this girl comes, I see tears and vomit. Uh, I do too. But why did the fuck did she invite this girl? She says nice. she invited to be nice in hopes that the invitation wouldn't be accepted. Initially, it wasn't. Now she's changed her mind and she's coming. And so you either got to let her come or de-invite her and risk pissing off your partner or risk her showing up and blowing up your precious 
special 50th birthday party, pick your poison. This is what you do. Okay. You say, oh my gosh, you didn't RSVP in time. Everything is already... Because that, because it's true. I mean, d- details do get set and there's nothing you can do about it and you can't just go and change the number of people coming later and just say, it's okay, we'll do something some other time. I think, I think that's really smart. Like, that's not going to go down well, but She yes, didn't RSVP. That's what she should do. No, she did. She did RSVP. She RSVP'd that she wasn't And said she coming. couldn't come. Yeah. And now she's changed her mind. You can't do that. When it's a wedding, I mean, when it's a this or a that or a thing, you can't. It's Sorry. not hard to change. It's not hard to add a chair. You just got to say to the bitch, I don't want you there. This because isn't a dinner at, you know, a restaurant. This is like a destination. You can't scooch on over beds. a cheesecake factory. There's <laughs> or just blame COVID. Sorry, COVID. We can't. I don't know. We just can't. This is one of those questions where somebody wants me to like out of thin air invent an out for them where they don't have to disinvite. They also don't have to let her come that there's some other solution. There's some other fix that really doesn't exist. I guess maybe a drag queen assassin like takes the sister out and then she can be like, well, I'm so sorry. Your little sister's dead, but let's go to my birthday party now. Right. Laganja drops in from the ceiling. You know what? I'll, you should come. I'll even get you a ticket and then get her a ticket. But like d- track route it to a different place. Like send her to Sheboygan instead of Jamaica or Jamaica Queens no. instead of JFK instead of Jamaica, Jamaica. Like just buy her the ticket and send her to the wrong spot and she won't even look at it. I'm curious about her relationship with her partner. If it's Bad. not honest enough that you couldn't say to your boyfriend, like, you know how your sister is and I don't want my 50th birthday party ruined. So... Because what the caller is saying is she invited this person probably under a certain kind of duress because the boyfriend would have been pissed. And now she can't disinvite her because the boyfriend will be pissed. What kind of relationship is it? Maybe it's the boyfriend who shouldn't be coming to your 50th birthday party either. Well, Somebody's got to eat her ass. The, oh, my gosh. this That's the other caller. Um, this is – I okay, I've been listening to a lot of Pema Chodron lately. And there's something in her book that she says sometimes the most difficult people are there for a reason and they're there to show you how you can be compassionate and how you can expand. So maybe you just bite the bullet and you let her come. And then your expectation is this is going to be a disaster. And then you end up really having a great time in spite of her. What, whereas if you disinvite her, then you're like, okay, now everything's going to be perfect. Then if anything goes wrong, you're going to go to pieces. So it's better to go into it like, okay, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a shit show. It's going to be a disaster. And if you have a great time, what a surprise. So you lower your expectations. Yeah. And it's kind I, of a trick because she, it's going to be a disaster if she disinvites her. That's what the caller is saying. It's going to be a huge fucking shit show with the boyfriend right. if she disinvites her. Maybe it won't be a shit show if she shows up, but- I got to say, it's the weddings that devolved and, you know, the parties that became shit shows that people remember and talk about. That's true. That's Real Housewives. And every wedding I've ever been to (laughs) that I can recall. Like the ones that went off without a hitch that were a perfect, beautiful, special day. Yeah. Who fucking remembers the ones where, like, somebody in the wedding party got into a fist fight with somebody else in the wedding party? We still talk about those weddings in my Irish Catholic family. Exactly. Hi, Dan. 
I am a 30-year-old woman living on the West Coast, heterosexual for the most part, unfortunately. And um, I've been dating this guy since May 2021. We met on Hinge and we've been dating on and off since then. We had sex the first time that we met and haven't had sex since because he went back home to North Carolina and when he returned, he got really busy with work and was saying that he's not feeling up to it. He just doesn't have a high sex drive right now. Although when we first had sex and it was amazing um, and we've been like, you know, exchanging very hot, very dirty text messages to each other in the between time. What's up with that? Like, we haven't had sex since May, and that's weird to me because, I mean, I'm, I'm attractive, and we talk about sex all the time and about how we want to fuck each other's brains out. And on top of that, he, like, randomly sends me pictures and videos of him nude, working out, sends me pictures of his asshole, and sends me cum videos. So what's behind that? Like, I... What's the motivation behind sending me that even if you don't want to have sex with me? And we're not exclusive or anything, but is it irrational of me to feel a little paranoid that he's kind of sending this to like a bunch of women? So Dan, please help me. I, I like this is such a weird situation for me. I've never had a guy like not want to have sex with me, but like send me so many videos, like provocative videos of his asshole, of his shiny body while he's working out and his, you know, him coming. Please help. I need answers. First of all, she's dating a rent man <laughs> um, <laughs> for older homosexual men. Honestly, when she said she's dating him, she's not dating him. They had sex once and then they've been sexting for a little bit. And yeah. also like the, the, the part about, oh, he, he came back into town, but then he got really busy with work. Men are too, never too busy for pussy or ass. Never. Too busy. Oh, yeah, I just can't squeeze it. No, they will find a way. They will sh- They will be late for work. I have done some dastardly things to friends and those I love just for a little inch of dick. Okay? So this is bullshit. She's not dating him. He's doing this to many people. She is, she is a number and a phone. She might be Do on we- his family plan, and that's it. Do we think this is a straight guy? I know he had, se- the, he had sex with the caller. She is a woman. But maybe you guys know probably more younger straight guys than I do. Is this that new model straight guy who sends out pictures of his asshole? I thought that was a gay guy thing. I didn't know straight guys knew how to take a picture of their asshole. This is the new thing. I mean, who doesn't like a stool sample? (laughs) Straight men have colonized the anus. It was bound to happen. It Anus was bound thing is to possible. Be... You said it. Right. It's my fault. The appropriation of the asshole. It's a thing. I... Said you want to be a local girl. We got COVID. Right. Do you know what makes me feel really old? What? what? I used to date guys for years and have sex with them for years. And never once did I see their asshole. We would have fucking anal sex. I would eat their assholes. I never saw them. This whole right. thing of like everybody looking at it, like pictures. It's like iPhone this is 10. A, like, this is grinder app and cell phone shit. Like this did right. not exist when you were gay and 25 years old before Very iPhones true. and dating apps. You didn't, a whole pick wasn't a handshake when I was. I have mine on a t-shirt. She does. Really? It says make America gape again. And then it's got like my heels, which are Louboutins, and these long nails holding me open. It's lovely. It's like a peephole. 
Oh my gosh! I have got to get one of those T-shirts. I'll Christmas send you is coming. It's really good. It's a good. They're shirt. They're child two X. Oh, it's good shirt. Um, do you think this speaks to possibly the sort of um technosexual like nature of like now? It's like maybe he just gets gratification from the phone and can't bring himself to do it in real life because he gets everything he needs from sending the picture and bleep, bleep, bleep. Oh, okay. I'm satisfied. Can't bring himself to do it more than once. Like he, he nailed it down by having sex with her once made her really want him. And then what he gets off on is sending the videos and the pictures and that kind of self-love. I I think it's really interesting. You know, there's a whole bunch of data out there that shows a kind of sex recession, people having less sex, but more sex with their computers, more sex with their phones. And a lot of people are really satisfied with that sex. And when you think about it, so many people's first sexual moments are mediated by technology. They're masturbating in front of their computers. They're on their phones. Their phones are really their first loves, and they're for sex partners. And so oh maybe this God, guy is just in love true. with his phone and in love with the power it gives him to, to send these images, to send his whole pick, and know that you're just out there panting after him. And he can have this effect on you, not just when he's with you in person, not that he ever needs to be with a new person again, just by right. dropping that whole pick on you. And then you're going to run to me as if I knew what the fuck he was thinking when I don't. He needs to clean his phone. <laughs> so... I don't have any whole picks out in circulation. Not that there's any demand for them. No whole many, picks. No on Valentine's whole, Day. On Valentine's Day. Oh, you poor thing. How many whole picks do you guys have in circulation? Do you think? I literally have one on a T-shirt that I sell. So is that a, a lot. drawing or is that your actual fucking? Hole? No, it's, it's my actual hole, and it's on a jersey with a football jersey with holes. So it's holes on holes. It's actually art, modern art. Momo was talking Momo, to me about it before. So <laughs> fucking meta. I Mama. have a lot. I, I Mine have been out forever, but I also used to hook. So like there was a picture of me in the Philadelphia Gay News when I was like 17. Like, hi! <laughs> Go outside and hook. hook. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I have any. I don't. I, 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 well, I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. Okay, I don't know. Well that, I think that makes you and I unique, at least perhaps in our homosexual cohort these days. Yeah. Shy. We're shy. Yeah. I can, like, draw you a picture. Oh, oh so cute. The, I love there's that. There's the T-shirt. Look at how cute. It wow. is really cute. That is a nice, and a nice sack, too. That's that's Thank very you. nice. Well, I'm all potato, no meat. well hey thank you guys so much for coming on my dumb podcast and answering some listener questions with me i really appreciate it of course we appreciate being on your legendary podcast i've been reading your column for so many years that it's nice to have you in my ears too and not just my eyes well thank you so much thank you uh hey dan i'm a tech savvy at-risk youth i'm calling from brooklyn lesbian lady over here and I just recently got sober, meaning no weed, tobacco, or alcohol, and it's day 13, and my sex drive is up, like legit, like I'm, my girlfriend and I are doing great, feeling really frisky and lovely, and even more than that, it's just like my attraction, my everything is just kind of on the on the high end, and is that a thing or is this just 
my psyche or is this just, you know, the, the absence of the substances actually just making me feel better? But what's the connection between sobriety and my sex drive? I think you should take the win here. Often when I hear from people who've gotten sober, it's interfered with their ability to have sex. There are a lot of people out there who use drugs and alcohol to shut the voice off in their head that tells them that they can't be sexual in the ways they would like to be sexual, that the booze and the drugs are disinhibitors that they come to rely on. And then when they eliminate drugs and alcohol from their lives because they need to, because they are destroying them, because some people can't use without abusing, suddenly sex is harder to have. It's harder for them to give themselves permission to be who they are, to feel disinhibited, to feel in the moment sexually. So rather than interrogate this too much, I think you should just count yourself lucky. So it's only been 13 days and you don't say why you're sober. Maybe you're just giving it up for a little while, a little bit of a booze and cigs detox. I would support that. Or maybe you've decided that alcohol creates a lot of chaos in your life and isn't good for you. And of course, cigarettes aren't good for you. And you've decided to eliminate them entirely and forever. Isn't it wonderful to know that unlike some people, when they eliminate alcohol or drugs from their lives, find it harder to have sex, that it's been easier for you. You've been hornier, more in touch with your desires now that they're not drowning under however much alcohol you were drinking before. So this is one of those instances where I think, why ask why? Just roll with it and just be glad you're not one of those people, one of the many people who after eliminating drugs and alcohol have to work harder on tapping into their desires, work harder on allowing themselves not just to be and get horny, but then to do and experience the things sexually that they want to experience without relying on the disinhibiting crutch that for many drugs and alcohol represent. Hi, Dan. I'm an African-American gay homosexual male living in our nation's capital. I knew I was gay since the age of four or five because I would fantasize about pro wrestlers as a child in their trunks and buff body. I had the best childhood. When I wanted to be a beautician, my parents said yes. When I wanted to be a majorette, my parents said yes, too. But my parents sent me to a co-ed private Catholic school. And growing up every day, I was tormented by kids screaming, faggot, sissy, homo, and queer at me every day for almost every day of my life at the school. It was tormenting. And then my parents sent me to an all-boys Catholic private school where the torment got even worse. And I was screamed homosexual, queer, sissy, faggot, daily. Dan, my question is, how am I supposed to accept this new flippant use of the word queer in today's society? I've even heard it used on the Target commercial. When I was growing up, I grew up in a time of good times, the Jeffersons, happy days, the Burn and Shirley, different strokes, and the facts of life. Gays are never mentioned, and I never had a reference, so I always kept my gayness hidden. At those times, the words killed me. So my question to you is, do I accept it? Do I reject it? Do I just let it go? Or do I just accept that it's a new era and just go with it? It's interesting that you use, you say you're uncomfortable with the word queer because, and I'm really sorry about the ways you were bullied at both of your high schools and 
I was on the receiving end of a lot of that at my Catholic all boys high school too. I feel you. I get it. It's interesting though, that you say that queer was hurled in your face as an insult. And so is homosexual. And yet at the beginning of your call, you say, I am a homosexual. I'm a gay man. And so I wanted to ask you, obviously you're comfortable with the term homosexual in a way that you aren't comfortable with the term queer, even though both were hurled at you in your adolescence as insults. Yes, that's correct. I was tormented badly um, in elementary school and high school with the use of the word queer. And it affected me so bad because it was almost used as the way that the N-word is used. Mm-hmm. And I would see the way my parents would react to that. And that got me to a reaction of when I heard queer, it just made me cringe. Mm-hmm. It made me feel as if of, of a lesser person. Um, it made me feel shallow. It made me feel weak. It made me feel, just made me feel bad overall. And homosexual, I just, I, I came to terms with that and, and being gay and being homosexual and people calling me that because that's who I was. That's who I found out who I was. When I mm-hmm. went away after college and I found out, oh, I, I am a gay man, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. But always hearing that word queer, it just left a, a, left a pit in my stomach. Are you familiar with the, with the group Queer Nation, which was founded in 1990, so 30 years ago? You know, I, I've kind of heard about it. Um, I left the country for a while and so I missed a lot of years from like 1994 to 2006. Mm-hmm. So I missed a lot of those years in there. Well, that, those, that's, those are really the years where queer took off and was embraced. Queer Nation was founded in 1990 by ACT UP activists to fight back against gay bashers. And the idea behind the whole reclaiming of hate terms movement, the reappropriating them idea mm-hmm. was we're going to embrace queer and take it from you. So it can't be an insult anymore because it's how we identify. And there are a lot of gays and lesbians in particular uh, who were bullied and and brutalized by people throwing the word queer in their face. And that doesn't work for them. And they're not comfortable with the word queer. And you don't have to be comfortable with the word queer. You don't have to use queer to refer to yourself. But it has kind of insinuated itself, wormed its way into the the discourse. And, and what I find really kind of ironic about it was people kind of promoted, and I was there, I was a part of Queer Nation and ACT UP, people promoted the idea of queer as this great unifying term, this umbrella term, because it meant all of us right. who weren't straight, right? And so, you know, lesbian, gay, bi, trans, we're queer. And queer is the word that like, that means all of us. And yet it's been added to the acronym, to the initialism that's ever growing, LGBTQIA plus plus plus. And Q <laughs> and Q rather than being the umbrella term is just queer is like one of the other letters. And I, I find that so ironic because when it was originally sold to us, it was like we are the queer community. Now we don't need to say we don't need to rattle off a million things. We are queers. Right. And I always thought of it as sort of like, you know, it's it's not a perfect descriptor because if you know someone's queer, you don't know everything you might need to know. I always thought of it like genus and species, like homo sapiens. Homo's the genus, sapiens mm-hmm. the species. And queer is sort of genus. And I am queer genus and gay is my species within that genus, right? And so I'm comfortable with it. I sometimes use it when I want to signal my 
allegiance to other people who are not straight, but not gay necessarily. And yet I recognize that for some people it's too associated with bullying. It's too associated with uh, painful experiences and times in their lives to ever embrace it themselves or be comfortable. And and it must be really awkward Mm -hmm. for someone who feels the way you do because it's so ubiquitous. It is. It's like two ends of the spectrum. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel at the end of the day. Every time I hear it, I even hear it on Target commercials now. And I go, well, okay, am I supposed to like let it go? Am I supposed to let it roll off my shoulders? Well, you can't kick, you can't kick the TV at that moment because you're just going to break your television if you hear it on a Target commercial. <laughs> so you really kind of have no choice but to let it roll off your shoulders. Just, just let it roll off my shoulders. But, it, but at the end of the day, it still hurts. Yeah. Like a little salt in a wound. And it, it, it burns a little bit. Um, but I, I guess I go, you know, it's 20, almost 2022. I just have to let it go and just get on with it. But like I said, every time I hear it, it just, it just makes me cringe. And I also have, I also have friends that were in the same age category. I'm 51 now and we're, we're all in the age, uh, the same age category and they kind of feel the same way. And there's a, there's a really long history of this. I don't know if you've ever seen the really terrific film pride about, of all things, a coal miner strike in the UK in the 1970s. And there was a gay group that came to the assistance and defense of the miners and right-wing press called them, uh, perverts for pits. Like the, the gay perverts were Mm. like getting involved in the dispute about the miners and the pits. And they threw a benefit called perverts for pits and just like said, okay, we're just going to use the word ourselves and throw it back at you and show that like, we aren't bothered. And yet, you know, always some people are bothered, but there's this long history in the queer community or pardon me in the LGBTQ ITA community of doing that, of embracing terms. I mean, I'm sure you've been to pride parades where you've seen gay men walking around in t-shirts that say fag on them. Oh yeah. What do you think they're doing at that moment? They're saying like, you know what? You can't insult me with this. I'm using this in, in defiance and, and that's what animates it. I, I'm not trying to talk you into ever being comfortable with the word. I just want you to understand, and I think you do, what animates the desire to use it or the the, the choice uh, okay. uh, of the community to kind of adopt it. And I also think it could help put it into perspective if you, if you knew or if you were reminded that when people started using the word gay in like 1967, 68, 69, people in the homophile movement were offended the gay men who were picketing outside the state department in the white house in suits and ties in the fifties, the Mattachine society, the daughters of Bolitis, they were offended by the adoption of the word gay. So it's almost like this generational cyclical oh, yeah. thing that we go through where like a new generation comes around and starts using words and terms that the older generation is like, ah, really, really? Are we going to use that? Okay. And gay itself is a word that went through that. Like now no one remembers, except weirdos like me, no one remembers that <laughs> a lot of people who identified as homophiles and homosexual and also inverts were offended by the like young bearded right. p- post stonewall radical homos in the streets calling themselves gay. And I, I don't say that to you to like guilt you about your discomfort. No, 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 queer. no. I, th- I think you have a right to that. And, and, and that's part of your experience in history, but I just, I hope it puts it into some perspective. It does. Yeah. I, I just, I, I really struggle with this because, because I don't want to salt your wound. And, and I know that for many 
gays and lesbians of you know my I'm just a little bit older than you, but like roughly our age and older, that queer really bothers them. It is salt in the wound, in, in wounds that, that never quite fully heal. Right. And yet, what are you going to do? You can't slap the word out of the mouths of everyone who's using it because it's just everywhere now. I, I even have a, my best friend uh, who lives in, in, in Florida. She even calls me sissy. And that doesn't bother me. And for, for some reason, that doesn't bother me. I, I come from a, a line of show business. Mm-hmm. And my friends that were in show business, they called each other faggot. And I, that didn't really bother me. At first it did, but I got used to that. But just the word queer is just is really just rubbing me just the wrong way for some reason. You're African-American, right? Yes. You understand the way African-Americans or, or black people amongst each other will use the N-word to signal in-group yes. identification, but also to acknowledge suffering, right? You're, you're correct. And I was thinking of that this morning, actually. I said, we in our own community it's okay to call the other person that I don't use that word in, in my own vocabulary, mm-hmm. but I, in our own right in in black person to black person, they will call each other that. And as a child growing up, I didn't really see an offense to that, but a white person calling a black person that was highly offensive. Oh, I, and I completely agree. You know, me, me and my friends who are gay calling each other faggot affectionately and you know, when we've reached a point in our lives where, you know, the bullies in high school can't hurt us with that word anymore. And yet we're, but we're, we're signaling right. to each other in that moment is like, I was hurt by this. You were hurt by this. Look how far we've come. Look at where we are now. Look how safe we feel that we can toss this word back and forth between each other with affection. And I think that parallels not that I'm equating the F word with the N word. I am not like, I will say faggot. I will right. not say the N word. You have said the N word and, but, and, and you have also said faggot. There's clearly a distinction between these two terms and they're how toxic they are relative, you know, the relative toxicity. And yet right. you see like, and you understand the way black people can and do use that word and what it means. And it's not an insult. And I would think that maybe you could then, and you do the same with the, the, you know, with faggot. You see how that's used, even if you don't use it yourself in the same way that your other gay friends might. That you could understand how some people use the word queer with the same intent and from the same distance. Like it is almost a marker of how far we've come that we can right. use this word. And it's come to mean what we want it to mean, not what they wanted it to mean. It, makes, it totally makes complete sense now that you. Now that you've laid it out on the table, a full spread on the table, I can go, okay, now, now I can kind of get the picture. I mean, it, it's, still, it's still kind of a, a hurtful thing because there's nothing like being screamed at, you know, every day of your life in, in school. I'm, I'm not arguing with you about your experience. I'm not telling you you're not entitled to mm. that pain. And I'm not, and I would not tell you that you're not, you shouldn't ask for consideration. That if you don't want to hear that word in environments where you can control whether you hear that word or not, like from your friends, when people in your house, you can't control whether Target's going to use it in a commercial or they're going to use it on NPR. I've heard them use it on NPR for them to talk about the queer community on NPR. You can't control that, but you can control and have a right to control what's said in your house, what's said in front of you. You have a right to ask for some consideration from your friends and family. And even if everybody else is using that word and everybody else is cool with it, you're not. And the people who love you should be able to 
keep that in mind. Just like people who love somebody can keep in mind their bespoke per- pronouns. If they use right. they, them, or zizer, people should remember to use the preferred pronoun of somebody that they like or respect or even a stranger. They should remember. And your friends and family and people in your orbit should remember not to use queer in reference to you or around you out of consideration for your pain. I think that's a legitimate thing for you to ask for. Yeah, no, it's been really helpful. Well, it was great talking with you. And thank you so much for the call. Thank you. Hi, Dan. Gay man from the Northeast, single, and really hoping to find a relationship, but not against occasional NSA. So I go on the apps, I go on the dating sites, I have a good network of friends, go out socially, um, not against getting set up, all of that's fine. So I met a guy on an app that was more dating-oriented. Uh, we had a couple of phone conversations that were really good, that were not really sexual. And then it got a little sexual, which was totally fine, and, you know, we talked about interest that all seemed to be jiving. He was more bottom and submissive. I was more top and dominant. There were a few kinks that I wasn't into, but I had had some experience with and was totally fine with and willing to explore uh, around ropes and feet and all of that was fine. And then it started to get a little more intense. This was only about the third phone call. And he started talking about sort of tying him up and then grabbing his wallet and taking a bunch of cash out, I mean, he was saying several hundred dollars, and taking it and telling him, well, I need this money, your bad day, and then absolutely never returning the money. That was part of his kink. So my problem wasn't with the kink, but it was kind of this level for someone I didn't know yet. Um, I have some experience with different kinds of kink with people I've dated, and generally, like, there's been a little conversation, and then, you know, once we've gone out once, or there's something, then the kink, then we can get a little deeper and so on. But I just really question someone that would do that. And especially this particular kink sounds like, I don't know, I feel like it's, it, I, I told him I didn't want, have any interest in sex work for myself, that I didn't want this to be sex work. And I was a little worried about, like, could he later say I robbed him? I mean, mind you, I've kept the uh, text exchanges, so I'd probably be okay. But I also question now whether I want to meet him just because of his judgment, not because of his kink, because it just felt like knowing I wanted a relationship to go really deep into this particular kink before we had met just made me a little uncomfortable. Look, if the guy made you feel uncomfortable, if he engaged in something or displayed something that you consider bad judgment, you don't want to meet up with him now, trust your gut. Don't meet up with him. I didn't have these phone calls with this guy, so I'm just going to defer to you your good judgment and your gut and say, yeah, if you don't want to meet up with him, because on the third phone call, the kink conversation you'd already been having went in a direction or went to a place that was strange or unfamiliar for you. Eh, don't meet up with him. That said, seems a little odd to me, I guess. It seems weird to me that the conversation about ropes was fine. The conversation about feet, fine. The conversation about him being more submissive sexually and you being more dominant sexually, all that was fine. But then when he shared with you this fantasy and didn't share a fantasy with you out of the blue, he didn't blindside you with this. You were already having a conversation about your kinks. He just got very specific about a scenario, a fantasy scenario of his that involves being tied up and robbed, which I can wrap my head around. There's a lot of people exploring fin dom fin sub out there. This is, a, I guess, a kind of fin dom fin sub 
moment. Basically, it's role play with a little money backing it up and making it feel real in the same way spanking, the pain of a spanking can back up and make feel very real role play around dominance and submission. So if I were you, I would at least have another phone call with this guy. I would tell him how you felt like this felt oddly specific and you felt a little concerned. You know, what if he turns out to be a little nuts and calls the cops after you leave with the several hundred dollars? You might want to ask him what several hundred dollars represents to him financially. If he makes a very good living and several hundred dollars isn't much, not going to leave a dent, not going to leave a mark like a spanking might, then maybe you could wrap your head around it. I think you might be having, even though you're kinky, you're into dom sub sex, you're open to ropes, open to feet, I think you might be having a kind of knee-jerk kink-phobic reaction to this guy's kink because you've never heard of anything like this before because no one's ever asked you to do anything like this before. You know, if you can think back to when you were much less sexually experienced than you are now, when dom-sub play may have been unfamiliar to you or new to you or you hadn't yet begun to express yourself sexually in that way, you hadn't found that groove. If somebody had suggested just bondage and feet to you, then would you have had the same reaction you're having now to this guy's very specific fantasy scenario? It's that reaction people sometimes have when someone tosses a kink out on the table that they're unfamiliar with where their gut reaction informed by sex phobia and kink phobia is, oh God, no. And I think at that moment you want to, instead of, oh God, no, you want to kind of, oh God, oh, tell me more. It's just a phone conversation. You haven't met this person yet. You're not in the same room with this person. Maybe you'd get more comfortable with the idea. Maybe it would fall into that same DS groove for you that the bondage and feet conversation fell into or not. Maybe it would continue to make you feel uncomfortable. Maybe he would continue to escalate with other scenarios that didn't appeal to you, that didn't uh, work with your erotic imagination where dom-sub sex is concerned. So yeah, I'm loath to tell you not to trust your gut. If he gave you a bad feeling, if you felt uncomfortable and you don't want to talk with him again, much less meet up with him, don't talk with him, don't meet up with him. But you might want to think about why, why that made you uncomfortable and whether your discomfort was about his actions or informed by a kind of kink phobia that sometimes even people who are who think of themselves as kinky and game sometimes have to confront. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's read listener tweets. Regular listeners may know that I sometimes recommend broken toasters as a wedding gift, if it's a wedding you don't want to go to or the wedding of two people you don't like very much. Well, Yen Yaps tweets, if any of your listeners want a broken toaster, my sister-in-law has one. It caught this cookie on fire. We can cut the cord and hit it with a hammer to make it more clearly broken. There's a picture with Yen Yaps tweets that does not look like a cookie that belonged in a toaster. So kind of not surprised the toaster caught fire. But if anyone out there is looking for a broken toaster to give us a gift, Yen Yaps has one. Look him up on Twitter and that broken toaster could be yours. Sex coach Shannon tweets, the guy on the Savage Lovecast who's mad at flaky people on field has me cackling. Welcome to dating apps, brah. Being non-mono doesn't spare you the full shitty experience. 
And finally, Exeter86 tweets regarding the opener of episode 786 of the Savage Lovecast. That was my rant about eating meat or fucking animals and fucking animals and eating meat. Consent, Exeter writes, isn't the operative condition as animals cannot consent to anything more complicated than being fed. Even that is debatable. The causing of undue stress should be our concern. While it is our evolutionary heritage to eat meat, we are not entitled to mistreat animals we harvest for food. We must mitigate distress even as we kill them humanely. I say that as a hunter and angler. This applies to zoophiles as well. Cause no undue distress. I would like to live in a world where all animals that we kill, we kill humanely after allowing them to live lives that aren't characterized by distress, by pain, by anguish, but that is unfortunately not the world we live in. The hamburgers we're eating, the pork chops we're eating, the hot dogs we're eating, all made from animals whose lives were brief, miserable, and short. All right, if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast and now listener response calls. Hey Dan, response call to episode 786 about the woman who was no longer attracted to her larger size partner. I think that you two were really harsh on this person. She clearly felt very guilty and upset about the fact that she had lost attraction to her partner. And as you typically say, we can't control who we're attracted to. It's not something that we can change necessarily. And we don't know if they just may not have sexual chemistry anymore and it may have nothing to do with the fact that the partner is larger sized. So I do agree that she should break up with her, but not beat herself up and just realize that attraction varies and it may have just been that their relationship ran its course. Hey, Dan, this is a response call to the caller in episode 786, who was looking for folks to hook up with on apps like Field and other sort of group and unicorn hunty apps. The caller, while you gave him amazing advice, the caller just seemed a little desperate. And as someone who has done quite a bit of unicorning, if somebody keeps on texting saying, are, are you sure we're going to meet up? Uh, I haven't heard from you. Are you sure? It gets a bit like a bit creepy feeling and sometimes is a real turnoff. Plus, as single people on some of these apps, we are inundated by offers. Just keep that in mind. This is a response call for the teenage boy in episode 786 who was having trouble coming when he was having sex. I actually had this problem a lot when I was first becoming sexually active when I was in my late teens. And one thing that I found helped was if I knew that I was going to have sex with someone a little bit before, I would edge myself and get myself close to finishing and then give myself maybe like a 30 minute to an hour long cool down before I had sex. And I found that that helped and it made it so that I could come while I was having sex with someone. After a little while, I realized that this was making me come too quickly. So I just stopped doing it and then I could come in a, in a normal time frame. So yeah, it's just something that you might want to try out. I have a feeling that because you're starting out, it might just be anxiety about it. I think that was the case for me. So yeah, give that a try and see if it helps and makes things better. 
And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's show or a comment about something I said on this week's show? The best way to get us your questions and your comments is to use the voice memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment, and then email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. The deadline to submit films for Hump 2022 is coming right up. Grab your camera, some friends slash lovers, and make your short, dirty masterpiece. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash submit right now for all the info you need on getting your film into Hump. There's no charge to enter Hump as there is some other film festivals, which I frankly find shocking. And the filmmakers whose movies make it into the festival get a cut of ticket sales. So have some fun, make some money, enter Hump. And the holidays are upon us. If you're looking for a gift that supply chain issues can't screw up, or a gift that isn't going to contribute to climate change, give the gift of the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast by going to savage.love and clicking on the gift. And my new book, Savage Love from A to Z, also makes a great gift for all your sex-positive loved ones. It has hilarious illustrations from Joe Newton and 26 all-new essays about your favorite Savage Love topics by me. Grab one today anywhere books are sold. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Alaska on Twitter at Alaska5000. Follow Willem on Twitter at Willem, that's W-I-L-L-A-M. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We'll be back at you next week on the installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for that.